We are back again this morning in our short topical series on the family. If you are new with us, you need to know that uh, I am in the middle, literally, of preaching through the Gospel of John. We went through the first 11 chapters and then a short break to do this topical series. And then in about a month or so, we're going to pick back up and do the second half of John. We've been looking at various aspects of the family and doing so by looking at several scriptures on each topic. This morning we're going to come to mothers. And so there are three texts that I would like you to give your attention to as we see what the Bible has to tell us about mothers. We'll be looking at Isaiah 49, Isaiah 66, and then a passage from 2 Timothy 1. Please pay attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Let's begin with Isaiah, chapter 49, verse 14. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. And then turning to Isaiah chapter 66, verse 13. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And then finally, from the New Testament, Paul's second letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I longed to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Lord, we ask this morning that you would open up your word to us. That we would hear what you have to say. That we would trust you with your truth. And that in the midst of all of this, we would see our Savior. That it is his work that redeems us. His work that makes us able to serve you. This we pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. In this series, we are looking at the biblical emphasis on the family. The family was invented by God. It is His design. And God has created each of us to live in relationship. 
And from the beginning in the garden, he designed those relationships to be the foundation of human society. And he also, as we have seen, has designed the family to be patterned after the family of God. Now, like everything else in the world today, families are marred by sin. Families don't work in the way that God intended. I'll give you a spoiler alert. Families aren't perfect. And that is because of sin. But that doesn't mean that the concept of the family is to blame. Just like other aspects of our lives, we need to look to the scriptures and the work of Jesus Christ to redeem the family. Previously, we saw that God brought man and woman together in marriage. It is a mutual relationship that is complementary. Man and woman each are essential. Each brings something to the family. They are not interchangeable. As husbands and fathers, we saw that men are primarily called to lead and to form. Now, this morning, we look at mothers. Mothers have a crucial role also. Mothers are not a fill-in when dad is not around. They have been designed by God for the blessing of the family and the growth of children as followers of the Lord. So this morning, we will see two things. We will see that mothers are the heart of the family. With compassion and care, they're the heart of the family. And then secondly, we will see that they are the help to the growth of the family. That the family grows spiritually with the aid and help of mothers. Let's start then by looking at mothers as the heart of the family. In Isaiah chapter 49, we have this conversation between Israel and and the Lord. And you may have been wondering as I read it, Pastor, what on earth are you doing? Why are you reading from Isaiah? And a passage in which judgment has come on Israel, and Israel is complaining that God has abandoned them and forgotten them. Doesn't Proverbs 31 exist in your Bible? Couldn't you have read 1 Corinthians 13? Aren't there so many other nicer things to say about ladies? Couldn't you talk about flowers or curtains or something? No. There's a reason why this passage has our attention this morning. And it's because it describes for us compassion. Compassion is that natural feeling of love and commitment that one person feels toward another person. We were not meant to be isolated. We were meant for relationship. That is reflected in God himself, who is triune, who is one God existing in three persons. And so we need to understand who mothers are and what their role is from seeing who God is. We see compassion all around us, especially when a tragedy strikes. We put ourselves in the place of others. We have a longing to help. This may have happened just recently when you saw or heard about the wildfires in Hawaii. 
you were probably like me when you heard these stories and of, of people being killed and of being, having their homes destroyed and, and being thrust out from their ancestral lands and all of the challenges that come from that. And my heart went out to these people. And I said to myself, what can I do for them? I need to be praying for them. I'm concerned about them. And to tell you the truth, I don't know a one of them. But it's something that happens when tragedy strikes. We realize that we were meant for relationships. We're drawn to other people. And of course, the closer our relationships are, the stronger this draw is. You may have been struck by the wildfires in Hawaii, but if your uncle or your brother or your sister's home burns down, you feel it much more strongly because that connection is there. And so God is saying to Israel that he has compassion like a woman mother has compassion on her child. What does the word compassion mean? Well, I think one thing it can mean is to greet with love. That could be a biblical definition. Because compassion is inherently connectional. It reminds us that there is an important world outside of ourselves. So this is one thing that I need to remind, especially our younger people today. There actually was a world that existed before devices with screens. You could actually talk to someone in person and visit with them. And you could go outside. And there were real connections. Now, if you know me at all, you know that I love technology. And I love the fact that I can speak with my sons and my daughters-in-law who live hours away from me. I, I love that advantage. But there is something about a human connection that we must never lose. It's crucial to our being to have those kinds of relationships. And so compassion we see in the context of verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? The opposite of compassion is to forget. And God himself shows us how compassionate he is by telling us he will not forget us. He has compassion on us. He will never abandon us, never forget us. And this is one of the great themes of the prophet Isaiah. Over and over again, in the midst of pronouncements of judgment, God tells his people that he will never forget them. In chapter 41, in chapter 44, again in chapter 46, and here in chapter 49. Now you can almost picture what compassion looks like. It's gentle, tender, secure. Compassion is a blessing to the one that receives it. It reminds us that this world is not cold and unfeeling. And the prime example of compassion is a woman with a child. Now, once again, as we've seen before, we have to remember the proper order of things. God and his nature is primary. It's not as if mothers are compassionate with their children. And so God is going to take on that compassion to help us to understand him. No, God is the compassionate one. He is the one who cares. And a picture of that is a mother made in his image who is compassionate 
with a child. That allows us to see who God is, to understand what his compassion looks like. God has created mothers in such a way as to show the world not only what compassion looks like, but how important it is. Now, there's another interesting thing about compassion here, especially in the Old Testament. Many of you know that I do not like to try to trot out knowledge of Hebrew and Greek and to try to bore you, bore you with grammatical undertakings. But I have to share one thing for you here that I think is very interesting and not a coincidence. The word in Hebrew for compassion is related to and sounds very like the Hebrew word for womb. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's just linguistic. It's God, the creator of language, telling us what he's saying in Isaiah 49. Do you want to know what compassion looks like? Look to a mother. A mother will show you compassion. You can't find a better example than a mother and a child. Is there any better illustration of tender care than a mother holding her child? The mother is responsible for everything the child needs. And the mother does that out of an overwhelming sense of love. You can't stop a mother from showing that kind of love. Now, in case you weren't aware, gentlemen, mothers do not enjoy as a hobby cleaning up spilt drinks and food all over the place. They don't get great joy out of wiping toddlers and babies. They do it for love. They take on that task. They have compassion. It's an expression of their love for the child. That's what God's telling us here in Isaiah. Now, what is compassion not? We don't want to confuse biblical compassion with sometimes what passes for it in the world. First, compassion is not manipulation. Compassion does not seek its own gain. It doesn't seek its own benefit. And once again, we have another story in the scriptures that speaks to this, that reminds us about what compassion is between a mother and a child in 1 Kings chapter 3. You may remember the story. Two women have two babies, and one of the babies dies during the night. And in the morning, there's an argument as to whose baby is alive. Now, I don't exactly understand how that works. Maybe they had only one issue of swaddling blanket. Maybe they all had the same color hair. I, I, I don't know. But they go to King Solomon, and they say, King, you're wise. Help us here. What do we do? Tell us. Who should have the child? And Solomon, because he's been given wisdom from above, looks at them and he says, well, this is simple. Bring me a sword and I'll cut the baby in half and you can each have half. And one of the women says, well, that's just fine with me. I'll take my half. She can have her half. And the second woman says, no, 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 no. Give her the baby. Just, just don't harm the baby. And of course, Solomon knows that the second woman is the true mother because the second mother, the, the second woman, the mother, has true compassion on the child. She would rather lose the child than see harm come to him. That's a picture of compassion. Compassion is also not sentimentality. Sentimentality is meant to keep people at a distance. 
It's so that we don't have to get involved with our emotions or relationships. We get sentimental about things. But you know what that's like? Have you ever come up to a painting of a fireplace and warmed yourself? Or perhaps you've seen a film or a photograph of a raging river to quench your thirst. Well, of course, that's ridiculous, isn't it? But that's what sentimentality is. It's not true emotion. It's not true engagement. That's what the world wants you to substitute compassion for. Compassion is not fleeting. Compassion has permanence and strength. It's one of the things that binds the family together. And so the mother's role is to bind the family together with this sense of care and compassion and love. Now, our society is seeking to do away with compassion. We are, in our world today, constantly trying to do away with this feminine excellence of compassion and care. If we want to ignore fathers in the world today, we want to do away with mothers. On the one hand, society is always seeking to obliterate the distinction between a father and a mother, a man and a woman. But on the other hand, society wants to erase the loving care of a mother and replace it with the utilitarian needs of society. Efforts are being made to separate parents from their children, to divorce natural care and love that mothers have for their children. Be assured, when someone, especially a politician, tells you, the children are our future. What they mean is, they're our future tax base. They're our future workers. They're our future consumers. Society as a whole can never have the love and care and compassion for a child that a mother has. Part of this shows up in his telling when women are told well, you're just a mother. You're just a, a stay-at-home mom. As if somehow it's a waste of time and importance. Maybe you've seen this kind of conversation. You know, what do you do? Well, I'm at home with the kids, managing the home and teaching them. Oh, okay, that's nice, but what do you really do? And what they mean is, what do you do that brings in money? Because really, money's all that's important here. This is not to say that those ladies who work outside the home are somehow less mothers. That's not what I'm saying. Actually, what they're doing is they're taking on two jobs. They're keeping the home glued together with love and compassion, and they're providing resources to the family in a fashion you wanted to quote. That's Proverbs 31. The Proverbs 31 woman is a businesswoman. She is successful at home and outside the home. But you see, what the world wants to do is to reduce women kind of a form of a man, a worker bee, someone who's productive in the business arena because they don't have a vested interest in children, in their growth, in their morality, in their being, in their confidence. They think that's a waste of time. Think about also the entire debate around abortion. People speak of motherhood as a burden to be avoided. I think perhaps the clearest way that this is described is if you've ever heard sports announcers talk about female athletes. Female athletes, especially 
that break from their sport to have a child. They have to take usually a couple of year break while they're pregnant, after they've given birth, and while they're raising the baby before they go back into competitive athletics. And it's almost as if the world is angry that they've been denied some time watching someone play tennis or golf or basketball. Why are you doing this? Why are you ruining your life? How important is a child anyway? You know you could be making millions? See, this is the way the world views motherhood and the family. Euphemisms are used to describe children that completely gut the idea of compassion. It's not a baby or a child, it's a fetus. Or worse yet, it's a clump of cells. You know, it's not a child who's about to be born and live. It's a viable fetus. What exactly does that mean? You know, I never met a couple that when the woman was with child and they were introduced to someone, they said, yeah, this is my fetus that I'm allowing to take over my body for a period of time. No, this is my baby. My baby has a name. You know, and if we do the test, we know if our baby's a boy and a girl. You know, this is the compassion that mothers have for children. And we need to combat our society and our culture that denigrates this. Now, surely political action and legislation are important in this way. I am very glad that Roe versus Wade, that great wickedness, was overturned. But the greatest weapon we have is not political. The greatest weapon we have to combat this is the gospel. We can share the truth about God's word, about how important compassion is to the family and how important the family is. We can model compassion in our families, showing people the difference that it makes. Ladies, are you ready to turn the world upside down? Because you can turn the world upside down with your love. To model the compassion of a loving God in the way that you treat your children in front of the world. Can you imagine the lives that would be changed by that? Compassion and comfort is care. It's the glue of the family. Mothers... The Lord is calling you to an active work in your family. You are essential. And this is true even of those who no longer have children, grandmothers, or even those who never had children. The most important work of a mother is spiritual. Women have been equipped by the Lord with the ability to comfort others. Ladies, seek out others that you can help. Encourage and love others, God will give you the strength in that. Secondly, mothers are made by God to help the family grow. Now, how does the family grow? I think you know this already, but I'll fill you in. Children do not go magically from babies to adults. There's some work that happens in the middle there. There's a great deal of work involved. You know, scientists tell us that just to develop one habit 
requires months and months of continual repetition. Think about that. Have you ever tried to change something you do? To change the way you eat, to eat more healthy. To change your morning routine, to perhaps try to be more efficient. That's hard, isn't it? You fall back into old ways. It requires effort. It requires a commitment. And this is no less true in the first instance of something than in changing a habit. As children are to grow, they are to form these habits, and it requires continual teaching and intervention. Now stop for a minute and think about how God works. God is in Christ redeeming a lost world. And the world is lost in every sense, emotionally, relationally, politically. There is no part of the world that is unstained by sin. So how does God fix brokenness? Does he establish some kind of powerful, visible society that compels people to change? No. He does it through the church. He does it through his redeemed people. And how does the church grow and expand? Through families. There's biblical evidence for this. Think about Abraham and his family. At the beginning of the book of Exodus, we are told that the descendants of Abraham go down into Egypt as 70 persons. And then when they come out of Egypt, they come out as millions. God has done that work. How did it happen? Was it some massive growth program? Was it a political agenda or event? No, it was family by family, children being born, children being taught, children being given the knowledge of the Lord, and then having their own children. It was family by family. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 78. The things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us, we will not hide it from our children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. That's the job of the family, to tell children the wonderful deeds of the Lord our God. That could be the wonderful deeds in your family, how he brought you to know himself. It could be the wonderful deeds in our nation. It could be the wonderful deeds throughout all of history. We need to tell our children what God has done. That is how the church is built up. The history of the church shows this. When we think of the growth of the church, we often think about missionaries and evangelism. And we should think about that. We think about the missionaries with Paul who went to Greece. And then later on, missionaries went to Britain and Germany and the rest of Europe. And then missionaries went to Africa and over now to the New World. And then across the Pacific to China and Japan and India. We could tell the stories of God's mighty works through William Carey and Hudson Taylor and so many others. But what happened after the missionaries arrived? How did the church grow in those places? It took root. It grew in families as the converted taught their children. And as their children taught their children. And so on. 
That's how Christianity grew in America. That's how Christianity is growing right now in China. And this is the work of mothers. Now, we've talked about how mothers are the heart of the family, so it makes sense to put them at the center of the spiritual life of the family. The Bible shows us very clearly. It gives us a picture of how mothers are involved in the spiritual life of their children. This is what Paul is describing in 2 Timothy 1. It's a short passage, but it's an important one. He begins with an account of Timothy's strong faith. He says, I thank God whom I serve, and I remember you constantly in my prayers. I remember your tears, and I long to see you because I am reminded of your sincere faith. And sincere here means genuine without pretense, real. Paul is telling Timothy, you are the real deal. You are a follower of Jesus. And this fills Paul with joy. He longs to see Timothy. He's, after all, entrusted Timothy with the church at Ephesus. But what we might expect then is for Paul to recount how he was instrumental in bringing Timothy to Christ. To hear about how Paul spoke to him the gospel. And taught him from the Old Testament. And and reminded him about the resurrection of Christ. And told the story about the Damascus Road. That's what we might expect. That Timothy knows everything he knows about Jesus from Paul. But we would be wrong then. Because Paul goes back to Timothy's mother and his grandmother. Timothy's faith was first in them. He received it from them. And Paul uses a very interesting word here. He talks about faith dwelling first in your grandmother and your mother. It being a part of their life. You couldn't describe Lois or Eunice without telling people about Jesus. It's who they were. It's the most important part of their being. Now, Paul even reminds us of this later in in chapter 3. He says, the reason their faith that dwelt in them came to you is because they taught you the scriptures. In chapter 3, verse 15, Paul reminds Timothy that from childhood he has been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful chain of events. From mother to daughter to son. The faith being passed down. The work day by day of teaching children. Now, you have to understand this. Bible people are not different kind of people than we are. And so, do not picture young Timothy sitting on a stool while his mother gets out lecture notes from the University of Jerusalem, and begins to tell him of the scriptures. I imagine it was more like this. Okay, Timothy, it's catechism time. Who made you? God. What else did God make? God made all things. Right? Timothy, let's talk about the story of Elijah. Now, sit down, Timothy. Timothy, Timothy, no. Put your bottom on the chair. Don't stand on the chair. No, 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 sit down. Stop running around. No, sit, Timothy. 
That's what it would be like. Like in your house. That's what mothers do. They teach all throughout the day. They use instances and circumstances as teaching points to show how we trust the Lord, how the Lord is good to us, how we should believe on the Lord, why we should read His Word. This is the job of mothers each and every day, all the day. But it's little by little, day by day. And because of that, often we denigrate it. What we want to see is some grand gesture, some huge event that brings about the conversion of a soul. Most people come to faith in Jesus Christ as children, taught by their parents. Most children never know a day when Jesus wasn't talked about in the home. Now, sometimes I think children in the church, covenant children, think that that, that's something to be ashamed of, that I don't have an exciting testimony. If your pastor has a wish for you, young people, it's may your testimony be as boring as possible. I don't want you to be strung out on drugs. I don't want you to lie and cheat and steal. I don't want you to go through challenges and difficulties. I don't want you to run from the faith. I don't want you not to know the Bible. I want you to have Jesus put in front of you every day of your life. Now, don't get me wrong. I want you to grasp Jesus with both hands. Your parents' faith is not enough. Timothy had his own faith. You see that there? It dwelt first in Lois and then in Eunice, but it dwells in Timothy. It dwells in Timothy with such a fire that Paul says, fan that flame and serve the Lord. I've laid hands on you and you are going to serve the Lord. Remember, this is how God loves to work. In the everyday, in the weak things of the world. Why? Because he gets all the glory. Moms, it is your job to bring glory to God in your families. In the sometimes boring, hard work of raising children, teaching, praying, encouraging, that is world-changing. Now, what do I mean by world-changing? Our culture is constantly focused on the next big thing. Desiring to be known by other people. Something that's flashy. And it's constantly trying to tell mothers that their work is not important. But God shows us something else. He shows us how the world can be radically changed by mothers. Let's think of just a few examples. Start with Timothy's mother. What do you think she was thinking when she fed and changed him as a baby? Or she stayed up late at night thinking about him? Do you suspect that she asked herself, isn't there more to life than this? Couldn't I be doing something more important than this? But now fast forward to verse 6 and beyond. Paul says that the gift that Timothy has as a pastor, as a leader in the church, as what church church historians have called him, Apostle Timothy, it comes from his mother. Not from Paul. It didn't come out of nowhere. Paul tells Timothy to fan into flame, to rekindle this flame. And his mother, who was a believer, we know from Acts chapter 16, 
even though her husband was likely not, was an instrument of raising up Timothy. It was not an accident. And Timothy was the pastor of the famous church in Ephesus. That church had a great impact on the church and the world. There would be two great ecumenical councils at Ephesus in 431 and 449. It was one of the main cities in the world. So do you think that Eunice, when she put Timothy to bed, said, I sure am glad that I'm changing the history of the world forever. No. But that's what she was doing. Never lose heart, dear ladies. Never let the world tell you that you are unimportant. Never let them steal from you the joy of discipling your children and changing them. Leave the big things to God. But know what you do in your family is big to God. Two other brief examples. The story of Augustine's mother, Monica. She prayed for Augustine for years after having taught him the faith. Augustine rejected the faith and embraced worldly philosophy. But God rewarded Monica's prayers and used the faith that she had planted in Augustine's life. Augustine became one of the greatest theologians ever, and he changed the course of history. Our understanding of the scriptures are informed by Augustine. Without Monica, there's no Augustine, humanly speaking. She is the instrument that God used in Augustine's life. Let me give you another example. Let's talk about Elizabeth. Do you know who Elizabeth is? Oh, I forgot to tell you, her last name is Newton. Elizabeth Newton. She was John Newton's mother. She was a strong believer. She was also sick with tuberculosis, which limited her energy and her abilities. But she taught young John the Bible and the catechisms and Christian hymns. She wanted John to be a minister when he grew up. But she wound up dying before John reached adulthood. After her death, John rebelled against God. He went off to sea and became a wicked slaver, one of the most wicked slavers ever. But God would not let him go. The work begun by Elizabeth, God would finish. And you know the rest of the story. There's hardly a person who doesn't know Newton's hymns. At funerals, even funerals of unbelievers, amazing grace is sung. If you think God used John Newton mightily, you have to know it was because he used Elizabeth Newton mightily. The world will tell you that there is no difference between fathers and mothers. The world will tell you that mothers are not needed, that the state can do the job of raising children, that mothers are in the way. Do not believe them. Mothers are absolutely essential for families. Mothers have been gifted by God for their role. Ladies, know that you are valued in God's sight. Men, support your wives as they labor for the Lord. Children, 
Remember that your mothers are sacrificing for your sake. They want you to know and follow the Lord. May God, by His grace, give us strong families with compassionate and caring mothers. Let's pray.